You know, we've actually been singing a lot of the Word of God, haven't we? And um, that last song especially, saying that our debt is paid, it's paid in full, and you're going to hear that come up in today's message because it's a big part of remembering who we are in Christ. And so um, you can turn to it, I'll read it in a few minutes, but our passage for today is found in 1 John chapter 2. It's the first 14 verses, so 1 John 2, uh, 1 to 14. And you remember that um, our, um, our series that we just started recently in 1 John is called Walking in the Light. Uh, and it is, um, it's this short book of 1 John written by the Apostle John, the same one who wrote the Gospel. So you'll see lots of times I'll reference um, things that he said in his Gospel. He also wrote um, 2 John, 3 John, and he, he wrote Revelation as well. But this, if you remember, was uh, um, John the Apostle, the close, close friend of Jesus, perhaps his best friend, and he is an eyewitness to these accounts. And what does he tell us in this book overall? The theme is that he wants the children of God, believers, Christians, those who have already uh, put their faith in, in Christ for salvation, he wants them in us to walk in that light, recognizing that God is light. Uh, and so today we look at it from uh, a different lens and a different angle. Um, did you know that uh, today is Groundhog Day? Did you know that? And um, it has no significant spiritual bearing whatsoever, but it's an interesting thing. And some of us were talking about that earlier in that wonderful movie. Remember, maybe many of us saw that. But, um, but you know, uh, on Groundhog Day, the idea is that the groundhog comes out, right? And, um, uh, and does he see his shadow or not? And I even forget how little things go. But supposedly today he did not see his shadow. Is that right? And so he is predicting, right, um, an early spring. And I heard that, and I was just like, well, just look outside. I mean, it's kind of been spring already, right? It's like, that seems to make sense. But, um, you know, I just want to make sure we're all up on the important news uh, of the day, Groundhog Day. So, um, yeah, but that's all good. Um, <clears throat> and so today is also another, um, like, interesting and, and unique day in our country, right? Um, it, you'd even say that today is like a, a very a special super kind of day, isn't it? Yeah, how about so, and I know many of you are wondering, I will have you out of here by 6 o'clock. <laughs> so you got just enough time to get home for the game, right? But uh, you know what's so cool is that um, you, ha- you all could have been somewhere else today, but you chose to be here to worship with brothers and sisters in the Lord. Maybe you've come here just seeking, like, who is this Jesus, and you don't yet uh, believe in him for salvation, and that's great, and we welcome everybody because what we love to do here is worship God, and we, we worship Him now through the Word. We open God's Word, the Bible, and we, we believe that is our foundation for absolute truth. And it is um, all sufficient for how, uh, teaching us how we are to live the Christian life. And that is what First John teaches us as well, specifically about how to walk in that light, to walk in the Lord. Um, I, I'd like to show you this picture. Um, so... <clears throat> This is, um, this is a sheep from New Zealand, and his name is Shrek. I think because he's so good-looking, I think is what it is, right? And um, uh, Shrek the sheep, that's really his name, he, he became very popular as sort of a, a worldwide sensation back in 2004, because what happened was his uh, shepherd, who's standing right next to him here in New Zealand, had lost him six years 
earlier. And so Shrek kind of had a mind of his own. And Shrek wanted to do things his own way. And so he found a way to kind of sneak away from the rest of the sheep. And um, he, he, he was able to hide from his shepherd for six years. And you know what he did is he found some caves locally and he hid in caves for six years. For six years, he stayed away from the shepherd to do things his own way. And he stayed sort of in the shadows and the darkness of the caves. Now, if you know anything about sheep, and the only thing I know is what I learned from this story, really, is um, that sheep are to be shorn. You know how they kind of, they, they, um, they, they remove all the, the wool, right, the outer coating. They do that about once a year. And the average sheep will have about 10 pounds of wool on him. Uh, and then it feels really good for them to remove that. It, it kind of releases that burden. But he was gone for six years, and so he had a little over uh, 60 pounds worth of wool on him. So every year, he continued to put on more and more weight. I won't make any illustrations or any kind of personal reference to any of that. But every year, he kept putting on about 10 pounds of wool, and he kept carrying this extra weight around until finally he was found and brought back into the fold. And then it took about an hour for them to shear him and get all that 60 pounds of wool off. And you know that that was enough to make 20 men's suits? That's what he was carrying around with him. But see, what's interesting is that Shrek is kind of like us. He's kind of like the believer, the one who knows his shepherd and has a shepherd and believes in that shepherd, but decides that he's got a better plan. That he can kind of go and do his own thing. But see, all those six years he spent away from the shepherd, he was sort of lingering in the shadows of the caves, hiding from his shepherd. And so, like the believer, like us, who has wandered, Shrek wound up carrying so much weight, an extra burden, That he didn't have to carry. If only he would have stayed with his shepherd. Because why? The shepherd is willing to take that burden. And every year removes the burden of that wool. Of those extra pounds. And sets him free from that weight. And so church, that's like us today. You know, often as believers, we give in to sin and temptation. And we, instead of confessing it like we saw John said last week. Instead of confessing and allowing the shepherd to forgive us because he is faithful and just to forgive us, what do we like to do often is we like to carry that extra burden of sin around. But what does it do? Carrying that extra burden, it drives us further and further away from the shepherd into the shadows of the caves. See, so we don't want to be like Shrek. But our scripture today is just about this thing. It's about remaining in close fellowship with God, with our shepherd Jesus. So that we can know him and love him by being obedient to let the shepherd do his thing with us. Maybe sometimes it's to chisel away pride and other times it's to gently embrace us and remove a fear. 
Today's passage is about enjoying our relationship with Him and not deceiving ourselves, but submitting ourselves to the shepherd who cares for us, who advocates for us, who represents us, who removes the weight of sin when we simply come back to Him from the shadows of the caves and enjoy walking in the light of His presence. I'm going to read for you now our reading today, 1 John 2, 1-14. And we're going to focus on just the, the, really the first six verses today. But here's what John says. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. For whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So, beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the Father. And I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. See, John... He really gets to the point. He's got such a great writing style, doesn't he, that he gets right to the heart of things, but he also then wants to leave you with hope. And today, I I do pray and hope that you will be filled with hope today. Even though we might talk about this word obedience today, and we're going to get to that, we will still make sure that we see the hope, that all of us see the hope that John gives us in these beautiful words. And so... um, I wanted to just make sure that uh, I uh, explain this once again. And I'll, I'll do this at the beginning of every message in this series. But we have, to, we have to make sure that as we read the First John, that we read it with the proper context and background. Because if you don't, it changes the whole way that you can look at this. And it's really important. And so remember this, church, very simply, that the Apostle John is writing this letter to Christians. So these are believers who have already... Uh, put their faith and trust in Christ, have received eternal salvation, and can have and enjoy assurance of that salvation. Okay, So it might sound like 
in some ways that John is giving us a list of tests to see if we're really saved or not. And I want to make sure that we don't read it that way because I don't believe that's what he's saying. He makes it very clear over and over that he is writing to Christians and he's encouraging us not to test our relationship with God. Like, maybe I'm not saved because I'm not being obedient enough. No, see, we don't have to be obedient to get saved. Is that true? Right? We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, by God's grace. What he's giving us sort of a a list of tests or a way to gauge our fellowship with God. In our salvation, are we enjoying that that relationship? So we have our relationship secure, but John is writing to those believers and said, yeah, but are you enjoying your fellowship with him? Are you walking in the light or are you still in darkness? You see, he's saying you are children of light, and that's a fact, but walk in the light. And so as we read through it, just remember that, okay? It's really important. Who he's writing to, he's writing to believers to encourage them in their fellowship with God. Are you enjoying the relationship that you have been given, all right? And so uh, a couple of things, right? Two, two things that I wanted to highlight here. He, he starts off, and this is just really focusing on the first six verses, he starts off by calling us little children. And sometimes we feel like that, don't we? But in God's eyes, we have a heavenly father. Elizabeth said it before, Abba Father, who looks at us as his children. And so as believers, we are um, considered his children. We have that right and that privilege. And so John addresses us as such as little children. And he gives us the whole reason that he's writing this book, and especially the next few verses. He says, look, I am writing this to you, little children, so that you don't sin. So that you don't sin. And I think for all of us, we should really be intrigued about what he says next, right? Because we all struggle with sin in our lives. As believers, we know that we are forgiven, but not yet perfect. And so Christians do sin, okay? And we can, it's even possible to continue to give into a sin. But that's what John is addressing. He's saying, you're going to lose out on your fellowship. You're going to begin to be like Shrek the sheep. See, you're going to wander off into the wilderness and hide out in the caves. You have a shepherd and you have a relationship with him, but you've separated yourself from him. And he hasn't left. You're the one that has wandered away. And so he says that, um, that he doesn't want us to sin, but then he gives us already a word of hope, a, 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 a glimmer of hope. And he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father And that's Jesus Christ the righteous. So look at this first. We have an advocate. Do you know what that means? I think today probably maybe the the best way for us to relate what an advocate is, is a lawyer. We all understand what what a lawyer is and what a lawyer does. A lawyer, in, in essence, is an advocate for somebody else. See, a lawyer knows the law. And the lawyer will stand in for you if you have to go to court or get in any, any kind of like, you know, legal issue. You will have a lawyer who will do what? Represent you, who will come to your aid, right? And who will stand before you, between you and the judge, advocating for you. That's what that word means, advocate. Does that make sense? I mean, we, we have the, this idea of advocacy groups that advocate on behalf of people that can't stand up for themselves, that's what an advocate does. An advocate will stand up for somebody else's rights when they really, for whatever reason, can't do it on their own. Is that not a perfect description of the Lord Jesus? 
because we could not plead our own case before God, the righteous God. We have no grounds to stand on. We have no witnesses. We have no evidence where we can come before God ourselves and like act as our own lawyer, representing ourselves to say, God, you should save me. You should let me into your heaven because of look at all the evidence I have of the things that I've done and all the people that say I'm a good person. You see that? We needed an advocate. We needed someone who could stand up for us before a holy and righteous God because we could not do it on our own. An advocate offers support and strength and counsel and intercedes for someone else when they cannot effectively do it themselves. So in sort of our court systems, an advocate speaks for the rights of their clients. And we call them lawyers. Why? Because they have studied the law. Now listen, remember we're talking about Jesus here, but we're looking at the correlation, right? It, it, from our understanding of what lawyers do. We see that a lawyer has spent many, many years studying the complexities, the details, the minutia of the law, so that he or she, the lawyer, can then represent Regular people like us who maybe don't know the law as well represent us in a court of law and say, Judge, I know the law, I've studied the law, and I can represent this person, and according to the law, here's what should happen. So Jesus is our advocate. Because God's righteous law, now this is important, we get this, God's righteous law pronounces us guilty on all accounts. It's what Andrew was referring to before. We have violated God's standards. We have rejected his right to rule in our lives. And we have continued to sin even after uh, coming to a knowledge of the truth and putting our faith and trust in him. Because Christians, we do sin. See, but Jesus stands as the advocate between us and the law. It's almost as if Jesus might say this. Jesus goes before the heaven, our Heavenly Father and he might say something like this. Father, pointing to us, this one has sinned and he has violated our law. And Jesus might say to the Father, this person is guilty. However, Father, my sacrifice paid that debt that he owes and it's fully covered, like we sang before. My righteousness was applied to his account when he trusted in me for salvation. That's why we have Jesus, the advocate, who goes before us to a perfect, holy, and righteous God. Jesus is our advocate when God at the, uh, with God at the moment of our salvation. John 1.12. Again, this is the same John, but this is from his gospel. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. See, that's all it takes. It's belief. It's trust. It's faith. He gave the right to become children of God. So according to Scripture, you are not a child of God. Yes, He created you, but you are not. We are not a child of God until we have believed in the Lord Jesus to be our personal Savior for our personal sins. See, but He also remains our advocate. And that's why it's so important to us, and John is making that point He was our advocate when he saved us at that moment of salvation, but he continues to be our advocate, church, when we fall into temptation. 
See, 1 John 1, 9, I believe we read this last week. If we confess our sins, John says, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so Jesus was our advocate, and he still is our advocate. And he is our perfect advocate because he was tempted as we are. See that? He can be our perfect advocate because he knows exactly what we're going through. But the only difference is, and it's the biggest difference, he did not give in to temptation. Right? He became sin who knew no sin. We sang that this morning as well. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, no, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. says it perfectly. That's why Jesus can be our high priest, because a priest is like an advocate. A priest is someone who goes before God on behalf of sinners. That was the way it was in the Old Testament. But now Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, our sins, John says, and not only ours, but for, for the whole world, he is our high priest and, as such, our advocate. See that? So we get that picture of like being that lawyer, that legal representative, that legal representative. Okay. So in that sense, Jesus was our advocate at the moment of salvation, but he remains our advocate because every time that we fall into temptation and sin, we can come before him and say, Jesus, plead my case before my heavenly father. I am one of his children, but I have let him down. And so Jesus might say something like this to the father, father, This child of yours, this one who you already have, has sinned. But she loves you and wants to serve you. I was also tempted. Have mercy on her. She has confessed this sin and desires to turn away from it. But Father, because of my sacrifice, Jesus might say, forgive her sin and create in her a clean heart. The Holy Spirit, Father, will remind her of your unfailing love, and will strengthen her to help her to resist that temptation next time. See, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is our advocate. Now we know as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are one, they are God. But Jesus says, I'm going to go back to the Father, and I'm going to leave with you a comforter, an advocate. One who, he says, will even pray for us if we don't know what to pray for. So the Holy Spirit within us as believers, we believe the Holy Spirit indwells us, never to leave us. We cannot lose our salvation. We cannot lose the Holy Spirit. It's our advocate. The one who goes before us, before the Father, and pleads our case for mercy when we sin. He reminds us of the Word of God that will keep us from giving in to temptation. He illuminates, it says. He sheds light on the truth of God's Word so we can understand it and live better in our trust and faith of God. That is who we have in the Holy Spirit. We have a great advocate. Jesus in heaven, our advocate. And then He leaves Himself, the person of the Holy Spirit, to be our advocate always. You see, Shrek the sheep left. He left the comfort and protection of his advocate. Because the shepherd who loved him just said, come on back and I'll take that burden off of you. You don't need to carry that weight around. It's unnecessary. 
Because I'm your shepherd and I would love to carry that for you and set you free from that. So church, as believers, that's what we need to do is follow John's teaching and saying, if we, conf- if we sin, we have an advocate and we can confess our sins to him and he is faithful and just to not only forgive us, but then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to create in me a clean heart. But he also says, uh, John says, that he is also our propitiation. When's the last time you used that word? Never. Thank you. And you want to be a member of our church. And you know. Propitiation. It's a big word. We don't use it anymore. But here's what it means. But it's a very important theological term. He's our advocate and our propitiation, which means Jesus appeased, this is important, Jesus appeased the wrath of God against sin. You know, every uh, culture throughout history has had some kind of religious philosophy where they included this idea of offering a sacrifice to a God. You know what I'm talking about? You've read it in books, you've seen it in movies, we've learned it in the history books. That every world culture throughout the history of the world, since God created it, has had some kind of system that they believed in that said, we have a God, a God, a spirit, whatever, that is angry with us, and we need to appease his anger, right? And so therefore, in order to do that, we offer a sacrifice to him. Maybe it's an animal, maybe it's food, and maybe in some pagan cultures, it's another human being. We all know what that is. But the point, the reason I bring that up is because inherent in that is the idea that it's human beings trying to figure out a way to please or to appease the wrath that they see in a God who is somehow angry and needs to be taken care of. Okay? And so... Every other world religion has always had an aspect of that. It was always people trying to figure out what they could give to God themselves as a sacrifice to satisfy his disdain and anger for our disobedience. See, that's where it comes in. And so what makes our faith the one true faith, because it's in the one true God and the one true Jesus, is that it is just the opposite. Just like about everything else, right? God himself provides the sacrifice. We don't have to find something or someone to sacrifice to an angry God to appease his anger and wrath. God himself provided the sacrifice, the appeasement, the propitiation to satisfy his, his judgment and righteous wrath against sin. Have you ever read in the Bible where it says God hates sin? And it says it over and over in many different ways. See, God is perfect and holy. So anything that we call sin means it's disobedience to Him. It it is His creation being disobedient to Him, and God hates that, and that has to be judged, or else He wouldn't be a perfect and holy God. So somehow, His wrath against sin needs to be satisfied. We sang it this morning, the wrath of God was satisfied, right? It was satisfied in Jesus Christ on the cross. But Jesus Christ himself being God means that God himself provided the sacrifice. That's why he can be our our advocate and he is our propitiation 
because he bore the wrath of God that was meant for us. Right? He satisfied it. But then verses 3 through 6, just quickly, it says this. Um, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And then pretty much all the way through verse 14, he keeps fleshing that out. Now remember, he's not saying if you don't keep his commandments, then you're not saved. What he's saying is if you don't keep his commandments, then you don't know him. Meaning you're not enjoying that intimate relationship with God. You're not enjoying the fellowship with him if you are not obeying him. So verses 3 to 6, really John is saying, I told you about the advocate, but how well do you know the advocate? How well do you know him? John says our fellowship with God is simply based on our obedience. See, that word obedience really has, it doesn't sound good, doesn't it? I mean, it has negative connotations in our society, obedience. But why? It's because we're born sinful. And it's because in our pride, which really gets all of us, right? Our pride says that we shouldn't be obedient to anybody. That we should be in control. We're in charge, right? That's our pridefulness. And so we don't even like to hear that word obedience. But you know what? Like I said, just like everything else, it's opposite what what Christ teaches us in his word. Obedience is a beautiful thing if defined biblically. It's a beautiful thing when it comes to our relationship with God. Because we don't have to be obedient. We get to be obedient. See the difference? Because obedience for us is to a loving master. Not a taskmaster or one who hates us. But it is obedience which is voluntary... Not compulsory, but voluntary obedience out of a response of love to what Christ has done for us. You see? And that's what we call it all worship. Because worship is simply a response to God's goodness to us. He reveals himself and then we respond. And he has revealed himself as our advocate, our propitiation for our sins. And we respond out of obedience. Did not Jesus say very simply... If you love me, you will obey me. But see, we should enjoy that. But hey, but when we're holding on to sin, when we are continuing in sin and not enjoying that fellowship, we become more like Shrek the sheep. I bet you never thought you'd ever hear me say the word Shrek like so many times in a sermon, right? But that's what we do. We wander away from the fold. We wander away from fellowship when we don't come out to church and enjoy it to be encouraged and strengthened, and we wander away from the shepherd, we head towards the shadows instead of where the light is. And that's where we are meant to be as children of light. But see, John makes it very simple for us. Doesn't mean it's easy, but he makes it simple. He says, remember, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. So he says, this is how you know. If you're really coming to know him and enjoying that fellowship, you're going to keep his commandments. Then he goes on to say, if you say that you do know him, he says you're really deceiving yourself. Maybe you can deceive other people and say, like, you're good with God and and you're obedient to Christ and you're walking with the Lord, but you're not going to fool God. He's saying you're going to deceive yourselves because you'll talk yourself right into it. We're good at rationalizing things, aren't we? We're really good at rationalizing things. but, But see... We can deceive ourselves and think we're deceiving God. 
But see, obedience to God in the Bible really means freedom. It's the opposite of how we might define it in our lives here. But obedience means submitting to a loving, generous, benevolent master. Obedience is a response born out of love. It's voluntary, and it's offered as a willing response to our Creator, who knows us better than we know ourselves. But will we simply choose each day to get to know Him more? John 15.10, John said, it, it, Jesus says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. See, Jesus says, I did that with the Father. You remember how often Jesus would go alone and pray to the Father? Jesus needed, listen, Jesus needed fellowship with the Father. And he's telling his followers, he's telling us, if you remain in me by obeying what I tell you to do, because it's all for your good anyway, then we're going to remain in close fellowship, just like I was with the Father. That's what he says. And then he goes on, I won't read it, but he goes on in, in John 15 to talk about the vine and the branches, right? You see, there's the relationship there. And if there's branches that aren't bearing fruit, and God's going to remove that. See, remove it from the fellowship. Like, you're not bearing fruit, so you're not being obedient. Right? And so, um, you know, I wanted to, um, I wanted to, to read this as, um, as sort of the, a way to transition into our time around the Lord's table. Because on a communion Sunday, we gather around this table, um, we do it as a, a family, and this is something that Jesus commanded for the church to do. He commanded that we be baptized, and he commanded that we remember him. Remember in the, in the, the Last Supper? Remember that in the upper room? He was teaching his disciples because he was about to leave them. Remember? Because he was going to be um, betrayed by one of his own, Judas, and, and betrayed to the cross and die, and, and he taught them that. And he said, every time you get together, because you're going to be my church and I'm going to build you up, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Do it so you can remember what I'm about to do for you to sacrifice. But see, he also tells us through the Apostle Paul that we are to enter into this time, just our last few moments together in the service before we enjoy a great meal together. We do this in a solemn way, in a reverent way, remembering what it costs Christ. See, the gospel of Jesus tells us that the gift of salvation is free to us. It's offered to us for free, for us to receive by faith and faith alone. But it costs Jesus everything because it cost him his life. And that's what we remember around this table. That's why we take the bread, which represents his body that was given for us. That's why we take the cup, which represents the blood that had to be spilled to cover sin so he could be that propitiation. But here's the thing, what I'd like you to focus on. As you hear the music play, and I'm going to pray for our elements, and as they're passed to you, just consider your walk with the Lord. Are you walking in the light? Or you tend to walk in the darkness, even maybe in parts of your life? Are you being obedient to Him? Are you really enjoying? Are you enjoying that beautiful fellowship that He offers to you? Because oftentimes what happens is, we carry around with us these self-imposed burdens, this weight of sin, if we don't confess it. See, we need to stop running away. 
and hiding from the loving Father, trying to conceal our sins. But John reminds us, you are children of light. Bring those sins into the light. It might be painful, but it's for your good because your heavenly Father loves you. He is your shepherd that wants to remove that burden and set you free. And believers, we can do that each and every day if we confess he is faithful and just to forgive. And so what I'd like to do is I want to read Psalm 51. It's verses 1 to 17. And then I'll pray and we'll take communion together. Listen to this, church. This is Psalm 51. The psalm that David wrote after his friend Nathan came and told him what he had done with Bathsheba was wrong. God used Nathan to convict him that David had made a grave mistake. And David had sinned mightily before his God. And here is David's response. Listen, David's response to being convicted of that sin and confessing it back to God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide from your hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. And I end with verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, will you not despise. You see, David knew. David knew he had sinned and he was confessing it before God. He even says, give me a clean heart, Lord. Remove that sin. Like John says, he'll be faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He even says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Remember, that's Old Testament. Because what happened was God would often remove the Holy Spirit's presence from people in the Old Testament if they were disobedient. He did it with Saul, and David remembered it because Saul was disobedient. But church, praise God, under the new covenant in Christ's blood that we remember now, the Holy Spirit does not leave us. We don't need to ask God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but we can pray, give us a clean heart, renew in us a right spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for these elements. And as we take them, help us, God, to be humble, 
and to be real with you. And God, that we would confess any sin that we may have before you, just quietly in our hearts, or perhaps a sin that we have committed against a brother or a sister. God, you tell us that we are to take this communion that's for believers, that we are to do it with a reflective heart, a repentant heart. And so, Father God, move in us now through your Spirit. Convict us. Lord, give us the courage. Give us the courage, Father, to ask you for mercy and for forgiveness. Amen.